at the start of 2018, we were maybe just over 20 people. And I think we we're 130 by the end of 2018. So during that year, we strongly had to think about our employer brand. We knew something that people would check ahead of applying for any company was Glassdoor. Employees are savvy. They're going to check these things ahead of joining. I think we had a profile on there that hadn't thought much about it. We don't gamify this, but we do have this as a health metric for the talent team. And one of those things is their, their Glassdoor rating. Our approach to this is if you're doing a spectacular job for that candidate from the very first day they call you to walk through that door, and if they're let down in the right way and given the appropriate feedback at the end of that process, we want to delight those people to such an extent that every single person who walks out of that door, one, wants a job at Paddle, and two, enjoyed that process so much they, they want to share it with others, whether they got the job or not. Let's go. I sell products, not advertising. This monkey business is in your blood, under your skin. You're not getting out, you're just getting in, you're only getting started. People will think what I tell them to think. Oh, have I got your attention now? You have part of my attention, you have the minimum amount. This guy's got the right idea. Why don't we begin? Welcome to another episode of Built to Scale with me, your host, Mitch Fanning. For those tuning in for the first time, the goal of this bi-weekly podcast is to have meaningful conversations with interesting people with a focus being on helping B2B SaaS companies go to market, scale, and win. In episode 19, I had a down-to-earth conversation with Harrison Rose, co-founder of Paddle, a subscription and commerce platform that enables SaaS businesses to grow faster. And we talked about what it takes to build a great company culture at scale, which is exactly what Paddle has done. In fact, in 2018, Paddle hired over 100 people and at the end of the year were ranked by the Deloitte UK Technology Fast 50 as being the fifth fastest growing software company in the UK and are now gearing up for a US expansion. Now, I'm not sure what's more impressive, the fact that they did this all at the same time while building an amazing culture or the fact that they did this all before the age of 30. Either way, it's incredible. Now, before we jump into the conversation, I have two quick announcements. One, if you recall in episode 15, I had on April Dunford, who is an absolute expert in product positioning, and her book, obviously awesome, How to Nail Product Positioning so that your customers get it, buy it, and love it, is available everywhere books are sold. I just got my own copy, and I've started reading it, and I have to say it's incredible, and I've taken a lot of notes. So if you're looking for a very practical approach to defining your own product positioning, this book is a must-read. My second announcement is I'll be taking a month break off. So my next episode is June 24th, and it's going to be a new episode on the topic of SaaS pricing, all about SaaS pricing. So stay tuned for that. Okay, that about covers everything. So without further ado, let's get into it. So Harrison, welcome to the show. Hey, Mitch. It's great to be here. So I'm really looking forward to this episode because uh, we're going to be talking about something that's really important, uh, which is obviously building a great team culture. And I think Paddle is a perfect case study for this subject because the company, and we were just talking about this before we, we hit record, is really focused on scaling and, and as a result, going through this, this massive phase of hyper growth. But at the same time, you and Christian, which is the CEO and the other co-founder, seem to be equally focused on building and sustaining a really great company culture. So I thought I would kick things off by just asking, you know, why is building a great culture so important to you and Christian? And what is that culture typically, you know, in the end, what, what, what's the, what would it look like if it was ideal? Yeah, I think I've always struggled to define what what a great culture necessarily looks like. 
And I feel that that could be because it's going to be very unique to each company in question. I really kind of perceive it as this kind of DNA of the company, if that makes sense. It's made up of such an array of things. I think it would almost be impossible to list, um, such as, you know, the people you've hired, the value you've shared, the way that you work, treat one another, the kind of the shared mission that you have. That That's kind of what makes up a great culture for me. In, in terms of why that's important, it, it's going to be important for so many reasons. Um, one, creating an environment in which anyone can walk into, feel welcomed, recognize like-minded individuals or, or people who share similar values to them and allowing them to flourish and enjoy their work all the way through to um, it. it, it enabling you to build the best possible products and attract the best possible talent that you have it it really is fundamental in that that core part of the business which is why that i kind of use that dna analogy i guess sure so was it something that you guys deliberately set out to do you often find that that's one way or one approach that companies have kind of gone about it they've created some founding documents and they've gone about it deliberately and then the other side is they they just kind of let it happen organically or naturally and then sometimes there's a hybrid of the two which camp do you guys fall into yeah i feel like we've seen both extremes of, of that actually um so christian and i began working on paddle when we were around 17 uh, it feels like a lifetime ago kind of <laughs> seven years or so seven years or so now i'm, I'm going great etc all those good things um but we kind of worked together for a couple of years on paddle we probably hired kind of 10 folks without cons- we're just about to raise i think a series a and had never considered culture or even talked about it. Um, I think the first time it was raised was by those potential investors who, who went on to lead that Series A, uh, Kindred Capital. And they just kind of asked very, very casually, what's the culture like at Paddle? Uh, only for Christian and I to sit there and look at them completely bemused um, <laughs> with it not being something we considered whatsoever. Um, and I think that the reason that you can get away with that in the early days if you don't know what you're doing, uh, like us, when, when you kind of get started, is I think it's very easy to actually facilitate a good working culture when you're all sat in one room, you've kind of hired every single one of those people in there, you speak to them every day, and just by nature, you're kind of very close-knit. But as you scale, you, you have to be more conscious and strategic about this and, and, and the impact that the, the changes that you make, the processes that you introduce, and the people that you hire impact on this culture. Um, so it's very different when you're 10 people compared to adding you know, the, the 100 folks that we hired in, in 2018. Um, so in the early days, yeah, you're right, we, we didn't consider this enough. But when we had to go through some of this this hyperscale, it was then that we, we built out a people and talent team to start working on this. Um, in terms of some of those initiatives that we introduced to, to help us with this to begin with, um, we always tried to get our people involved in, in defining and helping us codify what this culture even was, um, given that we hadn't considered it to start with. And we did, did a ton of stuff. But just one example would be uh, we did our first offsite last year, which was a, a big success and brought lots of people who are relatively new to one another very close together. But we did things like a workshop whereby people could comment on any one of our existing values. They had to kind of depict an existing value or create a new one in kind of picture form, uh, how it could be portrayed, why it was important, and some, some examples of this happening and, and how you might change it or why you think it's important to introduce to Paddle. And we often come back to, to our values and assess them over time. Um, and, and that's kind of linked to something that I think is equally important about as well as developing and sustaining culture. And it's being conscious that that culture will evolve. 
that the culture that we had at 10 people when we kicked kicked off and, and weren't even aware of it is very different to that which we have today and I think the trap that some people can fall into is is thinking that culture is static and there are always some people in your organization who kind of long for the days of old or only hire the people exactly as those that have come before them and really think this is kind of a, a wrong approach and your culture will evolve just like a product and or a go-to-market strategy as, as well as your understanding of it including its importance in my view and um, but you, you kind of need to eventually be mindful. Uh, and if you can do this earlier, the, the better, I'm sure, that each and every change you make or individual you hire really should enrich that culture and continue to develop it. Um, and, and you should try and be mindful of that as soon as possible, I guess. Yeah, and that's a great point. And, you know, and speaking of, of values, the Netflix culture deck, I think they, they kind of made that public. Uh, it's been years now. That was kind of the first real... I guess, impactful example of how people had deliberately gone about building out uh, values in the company and everyone kind of started to scramble and, and copy that. And I almost feel that having values public is almost just table stakes. So I guess my question is, how how do you you know ensure that the values that you've set as a company, even if they evolve, you know, how do you how do you ensure that they're put into practice like every day versus just, you know, being forgotten about? Yeah. Yeah. And, and to start, I mean, I completely agree. You see a lot of these values on, on people's websites and, and you do sit and wonder about their similarities to others. And, and, and are the people in these organizations actually depicting these day to day? And the, the first thing to get right is ensuring that they actually reflect the behaviors that you want within your organization and then actually enacting them becomes easier. Um, but we introduce those values at the very earliest stage of, of the life cycle for an employee. So we have a value fit stage of every single interview that we do um, for every role across the entire business um, from C-level to, to, to anyone. Um, and that consists of two folks sitting in a room with that potential employee from outside the team that they're due to join. I appreciate this is easier at scale, but you kind of get the idea. Um, and those two people meet the new hire and assess whether they meet Paddle's values. Now, the thing that we got wrong here initially or, or probably didn't make clear enough is that you and during that what's sometimes called culture fit, and we quite purposely changed the name there, you, you're not assessing whether this person is someone who'd be a mate of yours or whether you go and grab a pint with them, which we heard four or five times being Brits, I guess, or go on holiday with. And um, that can really lead to just hiring people who look and feel like themselves and result in a lack of diversity. And that's really not the point. You really need to be assessing this person against the values that you look for in employees and, and colleagues at Paddle. Do they depict the behavior which will help them be successful here and welcomed in our environment? And are they going to enrich what we have today? And so we introduce them right at that very earliest stage um, and then try to filter them into as many activities and behaviors and actions that take place in Paddle um, thereafter. I think the strongest example of this I can think of um, are that we, we run hackathons um, once per quarter here. Um, and one of our engineers, Jeannie, um, her hackathon project was to build what we call this kind of values leaderboard. So every person who joins the company, they're kind of assigned a, a house or, or a team. Did you kind of have that in school where you, you join and you get assigned like a, a house or a team that you're a part of? I, I don't know if that, that's a thing elsewhere. <laughs> It could have been. It's going back. <laughs> I, I I try to forget my uh, my years of schooling, but no, it, it seems uh, familiar. Yes, it, it seems legitimate. Yeah, but everyone who joins us 
essentially is a sign of what we call a house or a team. Um, I think they're named after like Game of Thrones houses or something very contentious, given the, the recent <laughs> <laughs> recent goings on. Um, but then you can visit a, a Slack channel called Shoutouts, and you can run a Slack command to give a colleague a shoutout with an associated paddle value, such as focus on the impact or, or do the right thing. And you can use that to call them out for living one of our values. And this channel is super active every single day, celebrating those who've gone above and beyond and really depicted our, our values in the day-to-day work at Paddle. And those scores kind of get totted up and you can track how folks are performing and we've really kind of gamified it, if that makes sense. But little things like that can really encourage you to shout out those that are depicting the values that you you kind of rate so highly or, or hold in high regard. Um, but there just needs to be a constant stream of communication and calling out not only of when values are being depicted, but when the, the opposite is happening as well. And, and that's equally important. No, for sure. And you actually, I'm going to go off script here because you said something interesting that I, I want to touch on. You know, you made the comment, you're not looking for someone that you would go out and have a pint with, etc. But it, in a way, it almost, you know, just from, you know, the research I've done and talking with you, it almost feels like that as a byproduct, it's, it seems like that's, something that you would do with with a lot of your teammates regardless uh you know now so the question is or the the other comment i guess i'd make is you also find companies they look at it where they hire as if almost like it's a family member or that kind of like it's a family they kind of use that in air quotes and then you you often find uh, companies who say we hire and kind of treat our whole process of hiring and performing like a sports team how do you guys look at that yeah, I think there's probably a, a balance to strike there. Um, I think you're right in that wanting to spend time with these people and enjoying being around them is definitely a byproduct of hiring those who share the same life view and, and values and put credence to the same things that you do. Um, I think one of the things I'm most proud of here is kind of being able to walk through the doors at absolutely any time of day um, or, or night, quite frankly and see groups of people huddled together, learning from one another, having a great time, whether that be about work, a project they're working on, or, or just about anything. And like that, that's super, super rewarding. Um, and I think evidence that we, we have built a great culture here and, and people like being here. I think when Christian and I first started Paddle, we had some really clear visions of, we don't want to work with assholes and we want to enjoy coming to work every day. And that seems really obvious, but I, I imagine that, some people might not feel that those things are true for them. And we never wanted that to be the case for, for our team. Um, in terms of whether we're kind of a, a founder or a sports team, I think at, at any one time, you, you have to strike the balance between both. So I want people to enjoy their time here. I want people to enjoy and benefit from the, the benefits that we've rolled out for them and, and all the things that we do for them. Um, albeit people will always complain about free lunch. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, at the same time, we all had to do a job, right? Uh, and I think at any one time, that the people and talent team and the team leads here are trying to, to permanently strike a, a good balance between you absolutely thriving and loving your time here and being as comfortable and happy as possible, as well as we are here to deliver and, and, and continue the hyper growth and, and meet out our, our ambitions. Um, but again, your value should feed that same belief. The people you've hired should feel in the same way and, and, and want to achieve the same thing. Now, we've been talking you know, about hiring, obviously, quite a bit in the last five minutes or so. Despite not having a lot of experience hiring previous to Paddle, 
I'm just, you know, walk, walk me through what were some of the, we, we've already talked a little bit about the challenges, but were there some other challenges early on uh, that you guys really fumbled on or how did you go about, I guess, figuring out you know, how to bring on the right team members. You're, you're very kind in terms of not a lot of experience hiring people to paddle. I don't think I'd ever actually been to an interview myself, let alone hired anyone. And now we're kind of 140 people, which seems absolutely crazy, kind of seven years on. Um, but I, I guess the, the biggest challenge for us in light of the, the culture piece that we're kind of talking about was probably diversity. So we started the company as two kind of teenage white male founders um with a very bold vision um and even then we actually started in the midlands before moving into our um angel investors office in london i mean it was relatively challenging to convince folks to come and join us and and leave their cushy jobs or whatever it may be um we, we ultimately just hired the best talent we could with the resources we had available to us and i think what we realized before we knew it um, so I'm thinking about culture and, and those two timelines aligned that the ones that I was talking about earlier was that we kind of realized there were, you know, 10 white males sat in an office and realized that absolutely wasn't normal. Um, <laughs> and we really had to work to put those mistakes right, but it kind of becomes self-perpetuating. Um, and, and that's the risk to companies, I think, is that if you don't think about culture early, like we didn't, before you know it, yeah, you're, you're 10 white dudes in a room and suddenly that's not an environment that people are going to feel comfortable in or they're going to walk through the doors and think this is strange. Um, I'm really proud today that we put in a lot of effort to, to improve upon that. I think we're 51% non-British, 30% female, and 35% Black, Asian, minority ethnic at this point with, with lots more work to do. But it was a real sh- struggle to, to improve some of those ratios, having started off on that wrong footing. So I think the advice I give to myself what, seven, seven years ago would be, be, be mindful of culture, be educated about it, um, and it's going to make one your job a lot easier in the future because without a diverse team you're you're not going to deliver a product that is applicable to the wider set of people and you're not going to be able to attract the the wider set of talent um so i think that's probably the thing we struggle with or or the advice i kind of give myself um if i I were to go back in time yeah and again really important issue is is diversity and as a company grows Obviously, as you'd mentioned, the key challenge is maybe that lack of diversity or remaining inclusive. As you had mentioned, you you guys are almost at 150 mm-hmm. team members at this point, uh, which is you know incredible. How do you approach hiring now? You know, and specifically, you know, assessing for that cultural fit. And maybe that's not the right term, but how do you do it at this point? Yeah. So the, the hiring process is obviously very different depending on what what role it is that you're applying for. There are um, common commonalities between them. We, we talked about that kind of value fit interview piece that we do um, for every single candidate. Um, with regards to kind of um, culture and diversity elsewhere during that hiring process or, or that life cycle, if you like, we really try to think of it as like an employer life cycle and, and a funnel from them finding us on the website all the way through to them working at Paddle. We, we've tried to do... I mean, the talent team are prolific and fantastic and have done a great job about rolling out tons of initiatives. Um, We've done everything from, yeah, ensuring a a minority group or female is on every hiring panel. Um, I think last year we did our first internal bias training um, or unconscious bias training for for interviews internally. 
um next up on their kind of project list which is very long and because this is a topic that they really feel very strongly about i think we're going to introduce blind cv review um and then the, the, the last one i think that i can reel off off the top of my head would be uh, i think that's one we actually do um is sourcing underrepresented groups at the beginning of a hiring process so you look at your initial pool of candidates you look at what what groups aren't, aren't what accurately represented there and, and you proactively source for them before kicking off the process and uh, they're the types of things that would been changing or have introduced during the, the current process to make this as fair as possible and to set us up for the best possible success with regards to culture and, and hiring that diverse team and um, if that makes sense the, the people i think really leading the way on this are actually just down the road from us um uh, near old street uh, monzo which is a, a challenger bank in the uk i saw recently they began hiring actually for a diversity and inclusion team lead and they're really leading the way on some of this stuff in, in my view so would certainly, if people are interested in this I, i'd certainly recommend of course our, our content and, and and some of theirs on, on their blog which uh can you tell me the the name of the company again they're called monzo uh like a challenger bank in the uk okay i'll put that in the show notes no that's, yeah, that's great that's great so i noticed uh, again when i was doing the research that you had a link to Glassdoor, which was yeah. part of the, you know, you, you see, usually see the, the social media logos and you, there's usually the, you know, the usual suspects. But I noticed the Glassdoor logo. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, and again, despite them being around since like 2007, uh, I, we, I often see a lot of companies in HR uh, specifically almost seeing seeing it as a liability not not everyone of course but you almost they 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 almost you know had to kind of start as people started to go to that and provide their their comments it was almost something that had to be managed uh in reactively uh versus say proactively uh and I, of course you can gamify it uh, there's there's lots of ways that that you can gamify it. but it almost looks like you guys have proactively embraced you know, glass door versus trying to struggle or, or fight against it. Was it something that was, was it just kind of like, yeah, let's just throw it on. Or, or did you guys actually strategically think about putting like, cause again, you don't see the glass door logo uh, as a link to many websites from my experience. So I think there's a few elements of this. So at the start of 2018, we were kind of 20, that maybe just over 20 people and i think we we're 130 by the end of 2018 so during that year we really strongly had to think about our employer brand which frankly wasn't very strong prior to that um so that was something we just wanted to get very very good at we knew something that people would check ahead of applying for any company was glassdoor and um, employees are savvy they're going to check these things ahead of joining i think we had a profile on there but hadn't thought much about it um we don't gamify this or i don't think we even proactively encourage um any prospective candidates to, to leave glass or reviews what whilst they're here but we do have this as a, a health metric for the for the talent team um our talent team aren't actually financially kpi in any way they just have a set of health metrics or, or kpis that we look at permanently and one of those things is is their, their, their glass door rating and for us it was it, I, I could see how you could perceive this as a liability. If you're letting someone down who really wanted a job at your company and they didn't get it, 
that person has every right to be disappointed or, or angry or frustrated. I think our approach to this is if you're doing a spectacular job for that candidate from the very first day they call you to walk through that door, and if they're let down in the right way and given the appropriate feedback at the end of that process, we want to delight those people to such an extent that every single person who walks out of that door, one, wants a job at Paddle, and two, enjoyed that process so much, they, they want to share it with others, whether they got the job or not. And that's a very high bar, I think, we've set for our talent team in light of the very high pressures we, we, we've put them under in the, in the past. Um, so I guess for us, Glassdoor is a measure of that experience for our, we call it the candidate experience. Um, Glassdoor is a measure for that. Um, and we try to embrace it. Um, but yeah, we're really proud of, of how that's going so far. Yeah, I have to comment there. That's that's a an unbelievable way of looking at it. Number one, like you said, in, in HR, having you know a really strong quantifiable OKR or or metric is sometimes tough. And mm-hmm. and two, you, you know, actually saying, you know, being so proactive and saying that even if the person is not accepted, that they're going to be inclined to leave a positive review. I think that's something that every company should, you know, any, anyone who's listening to this, who has that influence should, should definitely take that advice. I, I strongly agree there now. And it helps. They, they, they kind of, we have, we see reapplications and, and things of this nature. It, it really is, is beneficial. I, I can't, I can't recommend it enough. No, that's, that's really great. And another thing that, uh, that I've noticed that paddle does, you know, unlike some companies, is you've placed a lot of emphasis on health and, and well-being uh, for the company. You know, you know, a couple examples are access to you know external coaches. You know, and creating that a, a safe you know space to talk about things things like mental health and having those mindful sessions at lunch. Again, a lot of companies aren't necessarily going to say they don't do this, but it just seems like you guys are very overt. To even to the point where you're putting it on your website, specifically talking about things like mental health. Are there any visible signs that this this type of again, uh, you know, focus around health and well being has helped uh, Paddle build a strong culture? Yeah, I, I think so. I think if you're going to take on a project like this, and we do take mental health incredibly seriously that this can't just be like a a sticker or a poster on the wall. Like you you can't take yourself seriously and be publicly claiming that you care about people's mental well-being if if that's the extent of of your policies on this stuff. And we've invested in this a lot. um, And those mental health and well-being initiatives vary from yeah, Yoga Weekly, um, which is very popular all the way through to, I think we actually have 12 mental health first aid champions myself included in this um, within the business and a long waiting list for, for others as well. Um, a, a company to probably stick in the, the show notes is, is Sanctus who come in to see us monthly and give us two mental health coaches that any one of our employees can go and speak to about anything that's happening in their lives. Um, we, we really strongly care about this. I, I don't have the metrics to hand broadly about the, the impact of mental health on, on the workplace, but I know it costs billions. The, the days off that, that folks are having to take off 
um, during their work life for, for mental health reasons that cost in the UK billions. Um, and if you actually look after your people, which I think is frankly just the right thing to do, there are absolute correlations and, and monetary benefits in, in doing that, as well as it just being the, the right thing to do. I think we, I don't have internal metrics on this yet, and this is something we're working with people and talent on. Um, but to me, the sheer amount each of those initiatives I talked about, be the sheer amount in which they're being used is, shows their worth to me. Um, I think we'll probably try and run some NPS or satisfaction scores on those. But frankly, for us, looking after people's physical well-being is as important as, as their mental. And the fact that all of those initiatives are almost oversubscribed and we're struggling to keep up with the demand shows the appetite for it. Um, and yeah, if we can help pave the way for, for other companies there, we, we certainly will do so. Um, I think one thing that's helped us there is really quite candidly sharing out our mental health experiences as an organization with one another and showing that vulnerability um, has been helpful for myself talking about that to others within the organization um, and to, to anyone being able to kind of share that, if that makes sense. Oh, it absolutely makes sense. And one of the best analogies uh, somebody put it to me was, you know, you obviously, when it comes to physical health, don't leave that to chance. You know, you do things like diet, exercise, etc. But let it, you know, even now that it's, you know, mental health is accepted, people still leave it to chance and mm -hmm. they don't take that proactive approach to improving it. So, uh, you know, that's really great to see. So we're going to change it up a little bit and we're going to move into a rapid fire section to close things off. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say a statement and you've got about 60 seconds or less to, to give me an answer. So Harrison, are you ready? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> All right, here we go. So artificial intelligence fills you with hope or dread? Pick one. Hope. Um, I think I was indoctrinated by Google on this when I went to a talk the other day and, and hearing them about how they think it's going to increase productivity um, rather than be seeing lots of people's jobs, albeit I feel they might be a little bit biased there. But yeah, I'll buy into that. Hope. So Google's AI... Uh, algorithm has you know indoctrinated you that's what you're <laughs> just uh, I, I, exactly. intelligence has got so good that i have no free will anymore <laughs> perfect okay so do you agree or disagree with the following statement a good decision today is better than a perfect one tomorrow yes i think you'd find it probably quite difficult for people to find people who didn't agree with that statement i think the hard thing is, is putting that into practice every day um, but yeah, that's that's a yes for me. No, absolutely. It is it's not it's not an easy one. So what's one thing you wish your phone could do? So, yeah, this one this one's embarrassing, I guess. Like I am pretty old school and actually try to avoid using my phone when I can, and I swear by my Mac, um, to the extent where I started texting my mother a lot more as soon as I could text message her from my messages app on the Mac. Um so if I could be as productive on my phone as I am on my Mac. I'd be very pleased. That's really good to hear, you know, considering uh, I'm the same way as you and, and you know, we're we're coming from, from different uh, spectrums uh, as far as uh, our age. So it's that's really good to hear. I'm glad that uh, it's, it's <laughs> not just me uh, in, my, in my generation. Your favorite app or tool and why? Oh, this is a good one, uh, particularly as a, a, a company that sells software or apps. I think. <laughs> 
my favorite one or the one I've stuck with is a, a to-do list manager called Todoist. Um, the why for me is I often feel like I have an overwhelmingly long list of tasks to do and it helps me tame some of those. I also know a, a huge range of people who've tried to stick to a to-do app and, and failed, but I've been using that for a good three or four years now. I'm very pleased. So yeah, Todoist for me. It's almost uh, an ironic statement that they've they've tried to uh, stick with the to do list and and or uh, app and failed. Um, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. interesting. the amount of people I see with these just like massive text files that are like tens of thousands of lines long <laughs> is terrifying. Yeah, it's just scary. So next question: What's uh, what do you believe that others might disbelieve? This, this could be good. I could go really rogue, rogue here. No, I, 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 I'm not sure if it quite fits. I think, and this applies to me at work, I think I really need to develop trust with someone um, by working with them, seeing, the beha- seeing them behave, act and think. Um, I think a lot of people you meet or hear from or read about can appear as kind of world changes on paper, but finding incredible people in practice is, in reality is much harder. Yes. Um, so I actually working with someone and seeing them is going to be the thing that i need in order to establish that trust and credibility it works to my disadvantage sometimes given that that does take time sure and this might be connected but the next question is what's uh what have you changed your mind about lately yeah what have i changed yeah i guess to stick on the the kind of coaching theme uh, it's semi-linked so I've done the Myers-Briggs personality test here in the UK a, a ton of different times. I'm, I'm not sure if that's that's popular in, in your neck of the woods, um, but but never rated it. I, I didn't look at it with, with credibility, I guess, through personal experience. I'd always get the different results and never felt they were quite the right fit. Um, but I got introduced to a, a book called Standout um, by Marcus Buckingham. And it had been, it's been really, really helpful in helping me understand behaviors and traits in, in myself, actually, um, as well as peers and, and really actually for the first time helped me self-regulate some of the tendencies I'd have, which could, which are less productive for peers or I should do more of. And I don't think I've really ever found a, a book like that. And um, so that kind of changed my mind on, on some of those personality tests and has been really helpful for me day to day. So would recommend that. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes. That's great. So the last really the last question is where can uh, people find out more about what you're up to or what Paddle's up to on the interwebs? Yeah, I, I personally am terrible at social, which my marketing team would, would, would kill me for. <laughs> um, you, you can catch me anytime at Harrison at Paddle.com on Twitter, which I don't tweet regularly enough at. I'm at Paddle Harrison. Um, grab me on LinkedIn. Um, for Paddle, we're, we're Paddle.com um, and at PaddleHQ on Twitter. Okay, perfect. Well, Harrison, thanks again. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today on a on a really important subject, uh, and it's been great. Thank you. It's been great fun. Thanks, Mitch.